Welcome everyone to the Elevating Your Potential podcast, where we enlighten middle school and high school student athletes about the realities of college sports. Um, I've been very excited about this conversation for a long time um, because it's a topic that's said a lot in sports and society, but I'm not sure if we completely understand like the depths of really what it means. Um, and today we will be going over our mental health. Um, and we are privileged to have Dr. Wade on with us today to discuss mental health and how that affects um, student athletes and um, people as a whole. So Dr. Wade, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Um, so can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you're doing now? Absolutely. Well, I, I'll start with what I'm doing now. I'm currently uh, the licensed counseling psychologist on staff for SMU athletics. So essentially what that means is I'm the psychologist hired to work specifically with student athletes. Um, so my entire caseload is filled <clears throat> with the student athletes on campus. Um, so I do that part-time, uh, 20 hours a week. And then the other part of the week, I do have a private practice in Dallas um, where obviously I'm a licensed psychologist and there I see, um, I also see athletes from, from other schools, from other locations, um, but I also see non-athletes as well. Okay. Um, so that's, that's my uh, roles and, and what I'm doing. Uh, a little bit about, about me, uh, biggest thing recently, I'm a new mom. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Although I guess not that new anymore, which is crazy to think about. <laughs> um, but yes, 2020 hasn't been all bad for me. Uh, okay. Had a little girl back in February. Okay. Um, so yes, and she was my first. So uh, kind of transitioning to that new role as well. Um, so that's kind of the biggest thing recently. But in terms of a little bit of background, I, uh, an athlete, former athlete myself, uh, grew up uh, very much playing all, all the sports, all doing all the things. Um, and athletics has always just been a really big part of my life, my family's life, um, played through college. My brother played through college. It's just kind of ingrained in, in who I am. So, uh, to be able to do what I do, it's an absolute dream job. Yes. And so what sport did you play? Uh, volleyball is what I volleyball. played kind of the longest, but I, I mean, I did everything from, <laughs> which I, I shouldn't laugh. I, it's just funny because I don't think of myself as a, a girly girl and I think of cheerleading sometimes as, as more feminine. So I did everything <laughs> from cheerleading to gymnastics to soccer to swimming, uh, baseball, actually, <laughs> not softball, ironically, but Gosh. did kind of all the, all the things. Yeah, versatile athlete. I love it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what ultimately made you choose the path of becoming a licensed um, psychologist? Yes. So I wish I had a more exciting story. Uh, this is actually a question when you're applying to graduate programs, uh, when you're applying for jobs, sometimes this question will come up. And I, I always wish I had a, a more interesting answer. My answer is pretty boring. Um, I, when I was a senior in high school, I, I took a AP psychology course mm -hmm. and just truly, it sounds cliche, but I really fell in love with just the subject mm -hmm. of psychology and learning about the brain and how the mind works. And I've always been interested in science. Um, but 
again, particularly about the mind and kind of human behavior, I just was fascinated. So then majored as that in undergrad. And then honestly, I, I kind of just knew I didn't want to be done with school and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I applied to graduate school programs um, and applied to counseling psychology programs, which is, you kind of have two options. You can either go on and be a licensed psychologist and do kind of clinical work like I'm doing now or be a professor. And fortunately, very early on in my training, um, you, you have like different rotations where you essentially learn how to be a therapist. Um, and early on, I, I instantly fell in love with it. Uh, the ability to connect with people. Um, I mean, therapy is basically a 50 minute long conversation with that person every week. And so being able to connect with people, create a space uh, where people can come in and talk through, you know, obviously really, really difficult things, but also exciting things too, right? Just right. share kind of their lives and what they're going through. I just, I absolutely loved it. And I, to be honest, I've loved it ever since. Um, ironically, the being a, uh, having a role in athletic department, I honestly didn't even realize that existed. Uh, when I applied to graduate programs, I did not, in my undergrad, there was not a sports psychologist on staff. I just, I didn't even know that was a thing. Right. Um, and I kind of stumbled upon that midway through my graduate training. And it just, it totally combined my love for athletics and again, my newer love for psychology. And just, like I said, it's a dream job. It's such a perfect fit of kind of these different identities in my life. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's boring at all. I think that's great that you found your passion and you found it that easily because a lot it took me a long time to figure it out. <laughs> so yeah, I'm no, I, I'm very fortunate that things just kind of fell into place for lack of a better way of saying right. that. I was very fortunate with that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's really good. Um, so we have this term mental health like around like it feels like the last couple of years has been more prominent. Um, and like mainstream media and in conversations, but what does that phrase mental health actually mean? I love that you asked that because you're exactly right. Um, it does, especially recently, which I'm, I'm thankful for because I, as I'm sure you've heard, right, that helps destigmatize it. And mm -hmm. it's so important to be able to just bring this to the forefront and, and have these conversations. Um, and you're right in that it's still like, what, what does that even mean? <clears throat> what does that look like? And so the way I like to describe it or think about it is mental health is really on a continuum, just yeah. like our physical health is, right? So you can be somewhere on the continuum of physical health where, okay, on maybe one end of the continuum, you're dealing with a chronic illness, like such as a cancer or something like that, right? Where um, you know, that's there or uh, on the other end, kind of what we think of as healthy is maybe you're very physically fit, get good sleep, right? And, and, and then you can have everything in between. And the same is true for mental health, right? So on one end of the continuum might be a very severe chronic mental illness, let's say like a schizophrenia, if, if you will, if you're familiar with that, right? That, that may be on kind of one end of the continuum. Whereas the other side is, again, and this is the side I think really that doesn't get thought about or, or talked about, we just assume you either have a disorder or you don't, mm -hmm. but on the other end of the continuum being 
um, maybe being very in tune, very emotionally aware, very insightful, very um, introspective, while also taking good care of yourself and good care of your physical and mental health, right? Getting good sleep, um, having means and ways and understanding of how to handle stress and navigate stressors, uh, resiliency, if you will. And again, anything kind of in between. Um, so I, I hope that-, that It definitely does. It does answer the question. I have a follow-up to that. How can we, what is like some, are there signals that we can identify to see like kind of where we are on that continuum? Or does that take someone like a licensed psychologist like you to say, hey, I think that we're here. Let's see, um, like kind of doing a diagnostic of where we are. Sure, so great question. Uh, to get an actual diagnosis, then yes, that would take a licensed uh, mental health professional, whether that be a psychologist, a licensed professional counselor, there's, there's quite a lot of us under that umbrella. Mm -hmm. um, but to, to give a true diagnosis, yes, that would have to come from a professional. However, there is actually a lot of value in having a sense of, okay, what are those kind of red flags, if you will, or signs or symptoms to kind of look out for so that I can be aware of, A, just what I'm dealing with and B, okay, is this, is this enough of a thing that maybe I should, you know, mm -hmm. reach out and get some help or talk to somebody about it. Um, and honestly, that's kind of a big, um, as you could imagine, right? right. There's, there's a lot there. Um, to give some basic though, anxiety and depression are um, the most common um, mental disorders that people um, have. And so some basics kind of in each of those categories some things to kind of be looking out for. Um, sleep and appetite are, are a good thing to always kind of be cued in on, especially for mood things uh, like a depression. So am I sleeping way, way, way more than I was before, or conversely, am I sleeping way, way, way less? And why is that? Is it just, oh, it's finals week and I'm, yeah, I'm staying up because I have to study, or is it, no, I'm trying to go to bed and I've, you know, three, four hours past multiple nights, multiple weeks uh, in a row and I, I'm struggling to sleep. Um, so sleeping and eating is something to look out for. Um, overall just how how am I feeling about myself again that might be hard to gauge but um, does it feel like I've had a shift in in my overall self-esteem or how I feel about myself worthlessness um, those are again some kind of keys to look out for more on the depression side um, the other thing that's really important I actually should have started with this is with either of these things, whether it be anxiety, depression, whether it be any, any mental disorder, mental health disorder, you wanna look at the frequency and the intensity of it. And why I say that is um, you and I, right? We both can have struggles with sleep sometimes, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's a part of being human. That's, that's just uh, natural. We also can be anxious at times. We also can feel sad at times. That doesn't mean we have depression. Mm -hmm. um, but if those things are happening again, very intensely and for a significant amount of time, in fact, for depression, that is, uh, there's a true like cutoff. You need to see those things for more days than not for at least two weeks okay. in a row, if not longer. 
Um, so those, again, those are some things to kind of look for. Um, with anxiety, just briefly, um, it, it can show up whether it be kind of cognitively, so in our thoughts, or um, can show up physically or both. And so just some basic kind of sense of what that is for um, anxious thoughts, that's kind of what it sounds like, right? Being very, very worried about a lot of different things or a specific thing, but so worried, again, anyone can worry at times and we all do at times, so much so that it feels like I, uh, my mind has a mind of its own, right? Like the worry, the anxiety, the anxious thoughts just take over and I, I can't seem to slow them down. I can't seem to kind of intervene. That's kind of a red flag. Right. Um, and again, how long has this been going on? Is this a consistent thing that I've been dealing with? Or is this, eh, it's just kind of one, an hour, one day, and then, you know, it kind of passes. Right. Um, and then the last kind of piece, the physical pieces, um, this is actually good to know because a lot of times these things can be going on. We don't realize it, but it can be um, shortness of breath. It can be um, feeling just kind of an overall sense of feeling on edge or shaky or mm -hmm. um, tight even. Um, it can be fatigue. It can be difficulty concentrating. Um, it, it, can, uh, it can be feeling... Um, feeling like our, our chest is tight or maybe even having like a rapid heartbeat at times, um, headaches. So again, I, I wanna be very careful. All of these things are things that in isolation we, we all experience from time to time. Mm -hmm. Is it, okay, multiple of these things are happening and again, it's happening for several days, mm -hmm. very intensely. That's where, okay, maybe, maybe there's more going on. Maybe I should. Um, speak to somebody. Perfect. Yeah, thank you so much for those. Uh, it was, that's helpful to me um, as I'm in, as I might, like I have a wife, if she's experiencing these symptoms or if someone's going through mm -hmm. that as well. Um, so yeah, thank exactly. you so much for that. Um, of course. I'm sure you've done a lot of, I know you've done a lot of research and you've met with a lot of students, student athletes and other individuals um, over the years. And what are some common areas, let's just talk to the student athlete now that they struggle, that student athletes struggle with as they make a transition from high school to college that you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. So specific to athletes um, and specific to college athletes, but you can definitely see this in high school too. There can be just an overall stress or struggle with all of the, the roles and the responsibilities and the time mm -hmm. that goes into being a student athlete, right? I mean, it's 20 plus hours at a minimum, right? Of, right. of just training. That's at a minimum, not including travel, not including, yep. right? Competition, all that. So that's 20 hours a week right there. Then you've got your class schedule on top of that. Then if you've got an internship or a job on the side, or God forbid you want to spend some time with your friends, right? Mm -hmm. that, that all has to fit into that time. So Again, I think um, competitive high school athletes are, are accustomed to that to a degree, um, but depending on kind of what program they're coming from, uh, that can, and for many does, ramp up um, in, in college. Um, and so just having to navigate how to balance all that, and again, all the kind of responsibilities and pressure 
that may be there in those different responsible in those different roles. So wanting to do well academically, wanting to do well um, athletically, wanting to be a good friend, wanting to be a good good son or daughter, right? All of those things are there, mm -hmm. and so um, again, that can just kind of come to a head for for most athletes. Um, some other things that tend to be really really common things I see is um, kind of perfectionism, if you will. And I think if you think about it, perfectionism is a really good and a difficult thing at the same time, right? The striving for excellence, the pushing yourself, that makes a really good athlete, right? If you think about it. Um, and I, I talk to athletes a lot of like, that's part of why you're here, right? That, that, that mindset that um, again, striving for excellence is part of why you get to division one athletics. Unfortunately, the downside of it is sometimes that can mean we're really, really hard on ourselves when things don't go right. perfectly. Yeah. And we know that things don't go perfectly because perfection is impossible. And so how are we treating ourselves when things, when we don't, get the grade we wanted when we don't have the stats that we wanted in that game, mm -hmm. right? And so for some, it's okay, yeah, I, I can do better next time and um, you know, I will do better next time and then that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. For others, it can be, no, we're really beating ourselves up. We're really kind of fixated on that or stuck on that. It affects our mood. It affects how we see ourselves. It can kind of show up in these, in these bigger ways. Um, so that that's definitely a common kind of theme of, of what I see. Um, and then I think the other thing to just note, I cannot tell you how often people like outside of sports, but also honestly, coaches and, and teammates can think this way too, can think that if you're, a, especially if you, you know, if you're a scholarship college athlete, that you some, somehow should just everything should be great. <laughs> right, right. Right. And, you know, yeah, you might have a little bit of stress here and there, but you know, you're lucky to be a college athlete and on scholarship. And is that true? Is there a lot of privilege and a lot of amazing things that come with being a college athlete? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, and at the same time, that doesn't make you immune from stress, right. from mental health, uh, concerns, right? So if you take this year as an example, right? This has been a very hard year for mm -hmm. a lot of people, most people, right? Whether it be the pandemic that is ongoing, whether it be racial and social injustice that is ongoing, right? Athletes are athletes aren't immune to those things, right? So just like just like they affect a non-athlete, they're gonna affect our athlete too. And you're going to have those other things, the responsibilities, the, exactly. you know, the pressure on top of that. Mm -hmm. So again, a lot of times people think, oh, if you're a student athlete, everything's great, you know, all rainbows and butterflies. And again, a, a thing I like to really drive home is that, no, in fact, in some ways you've got even more stress. Right. You've got a lot of excitement too, and a lot of great things too. I do not want to overlook that. And there can be uh, a lot of stressors there. Right. Yeah, that's, those are really good. So to continue on, on the same point, 
what I know you don't you're not talking to a specific student athlete right now, but what are some things that you give those student athletes to help them overcome that in a in a broad general sense? Sure. Um, and yeah, I, without getting super detailed, um, because it, that would be kind of depending on the person, right? That right. changes very much. Um, but just generally, a lot of what is worked on in, in therapy per se, or um, the skills that are gained is first and foremost, a lot around awareness. Awareness of, and that's why I said, it's good you're asking these questions because a lot of times we, we don't realize how out of touch with ourselves we can be when we get really busy, when mm-hmm. we're just on to the next thing and go into practice and go into weights and cramming in our homework, right? And it's just go, 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 go. A lot of times we're, we're not super aware of what we're feeling, what we're thinking, um, overall, just an overall sense of how we're doing, right? And again, mm-hmm. on that, like, mental health continuum I was talking about before, like, where, where do we fall? Where do I fall on that? So a big sense is just gaining awareness and, and doing that through taking a moment to pause and kind of check in with yourself and ask yourself those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how am I doing? How have I been feeling? Have I, is my body really run down and, you know, I, I haven't even had a ton of <laughs> weights that I've been lifting. Like, should I, should I not be run down right now? Like what right, else right. might be going on? Right. Kind of, kind of almost coming at it from a place of curiosity. Um, so those are really important things. And then also just having a sense, and again, this kind of goes with the awareness, having a sense of what and how do I cope with my stress? Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of times we, we cope with stress really well and we don't even realize that, you know, what we're doing. And then sometimes what can happen is when we become overwhelmed with way, way, way more stress, we forget how we got out of the stress before. Mm -hmm. And so really, again, asking yourself those questions of like, what what helps me just feel a little bit calmer or feel like brighten my mood just a little bit? Is that calling my mom? Is that calling a friend? Is it my favorite Netflix show or watching a TikTok video or whatever, right? It could be a very large or small thing, but getting a sense broadly of what that looks like. And then of course, actively using those things in those times of stress. Yeah, yeah. Really good. That makes sense. It does make a lot of sense, yes. Thank you so much for that. Um, the next one's kind of a two-part question, and you, you talked about coaches and parents earlier. Um, so the first part is, what, what would you tell uh, maybe those coaches, parents, or even roommates um, or friends of people who think that a student athlete is using the mental health as an excuse for, like, bad performance or not wanting to push themselves? How do you, um, what would you tell those people who might think that about a student athlete? Sure. So I really like to compare it again, kind of like I did earlier with the continuum, comparing it to a physical injury, right? My hope, my hope, I know this is sometimes an issue, but my hope would be that if somebody tore their ACL, we wouldn't, think twice about saying, oh, that's, geez, that, that person is weak. They're, that's just an excuse, right? They, gosh, right? We would understand that, no, this is a significant injury. And there's going to be a lot that goes into the recovery from that. 
a lot that goes into slowly building things back up, right? A lot that goes into working through that. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing if, and again, it's on a continuum, but it, for sure, if significant mental illness is present, it's the same thing. Uh, it's, it's very much real, just as an ACL injury is real. And it's something to um, be addressed, not ignored, n- and definitely not minimized, right? Um, and to, to use that to, to work through, right? Just because there's a mental, uh, just because somebody has a mental health diagnosis doesn't mean they're not capable, mm. right? They're very much capable, but it's not helpful to pretend it's not there or to, it's definitely not helpful to... <laughs> Uh, frame it as an excuse or a crutch or what have you. So recognizing that it's there, it's serious and trusting that it can be worked through just like a physical injury can. Okay. And my second second part of the question actually was in conjunction with you saying that you're still capable. And so how do we move forward um, or how can a coach or parent move forward in like helping push that student athlete towards their dreams while still being sensitive to uh, what is there with their mental health? You might've already answered that, but do you have any more insight on that front? Yeah, I mean, a lot A lot of what I said before, just again, um, recognizing that it's there, being understanding around that, a lot, again, a lot of how you would with an injury. I, I know sometimes, um, we can push too too far, honestly, with with physical injuries too, and and honestly, that's problematic. But but the same the same way you would approach that. So again, not pretending like it's not there, um, recognizing it, while also trusting that the athlete um, is capable of of continuing to perform at very high levels. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, just like with a physical injury, just like you would expect. Um, you know, ongoing rehab with your athletic trainer, or if it has to be a physical therapist or or what have you. Um, Yes, you would hope that the person is meeting with um, a psychologist or a mental health provider as a part of their treatment. Um, But then leaving that, you know, leaving that up to that person while trying to just create as supportive and, um, supportive and understanding of an environment as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, this next one's kind of a, kind of a one-off. So I had a, um, a friend that I played with um, while I was mm-hmm. playing collegiately, and he was 26 hours away from uh, where he went to high school and where his family is. Um, and I asked that to see how much does homesickness play into the mental health of a student athlete in college? Because a lot of times people don't go to the same, um, don't go to college in the same area or even state where they are. So do you see homesickness a lot? Um, honestly, just as much as you would, again, kind of like I was saying before, athletes aren't immune. So just as much as you would with a non-athlete, I think you see it. Mm. Um, and and just to give a little background, like I, um, when I first got to SMU, I worked both with um, non-athletes and athletes. And so, and then previously I have as well. So I, ha- I haven't only seen athletes. So I've seen other college students. And yeah, I, I think the, the numbers mirror each other. I don't 
I don't think athletes struggle any more or less with that. And just like, I mean, that's another, actually, that's a good point of another kind of place you would be at on a continuum, right? On that continuum in that um, homesickness is very, very common, especially doesn't always have to be in the first year, but especially right in, in your uh, freshman year. Um, and so just recognizing that it's there, recognizing that it's a real thing and working through you know, slowly kind of overcoming that. And a lot of, a lot of that is time and adjusting, right. And creating roots and, um, connections in, in the new place. Um, doesn't mean you're not going <laughs> to stop missing your family, right. And your friends right. back home. Um, but typically in my experience over time that those are the things that kind of help that get better. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Time and adjustment. Perfect. Um, the next question is about relationships. So let's say we are with a roommate of someone or have a friend who is experiencing um, maybe some mental health and we're concerned about the mental health. How do we help our friend without making it worse? Because sometimes we have good intentions, but we say things that might not be um, what that person needs at that moment. How can we help our friends, roommates, um, whoever it is in that situation? Yeah, that's a good question. And I first like to start off with, because this is something I've been asked before. Um, and I think keeping in mind that if, as long as you go into it with good intentions, yes, you might say the wrong thing. And at the same time, not putting a pressure on yourself that you have to be perfect. Because I think why it's, I think that's so important is sometimes we think we have to say the exact right thing. And because there's that pressure there, a lot of times we end up not saying anything at all. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, that that can be worse. Um, so I say all that of just trusting that if your intentions are good, and I'm sure they are, right? If you're concerned about your friend, your roommate, and uh, keeping in mind that if you're going into a conversation with those good intentions and with just trying to be a supportive friend, that hopefully that will that will show through regardless of what words you you choose does that make sense yes. that's really good for me personally because i'm usually the person that doesn't like to speak up because i don't want to say the wrong thing and make it worse right yeah i'll give you an example um this is kind of a weird example but i just recently saw this and i i thought it was so good it was talking about grief and, and why I think it's a good example is this is, this is something we all, we all deal with at one stage of our life is, is grief and loss, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it be loss of a loved one and, and hopefully it's not anytime soon for people, but these things come up and it's a very human experience, right? Um, it was something, I, I hope I'm not butchering it, but it was something along the lines of don't be afraid to bring up the loved, it, it was talking about the holidays actually, the holidays coming up and you know addressing a friend that that's either recently or or not recently lost a loved one don't be afraid to bring that person up whether it be a memory of that person or just saying you know i've been thinking about you um or i've been thinking about them rather um don't be afraid to bring them up because you you're worried that's going to somehow make it worse for the person that's grieving the person that's grieving didn't forget that that person's gone right there that person's probably very much on their mind already so you bringing that up shows how much you love and care for that person 
and isn't necessarily making that worse. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Because um, I've done that as well. I haven't wanted to yeah. break up um, a particular person. And yeah, I was just worried a, a lot that if I brought this person up and this person might have a breakdown in front of me or right. and I have to handle those emotions as well. So yeah, that makes a right. lot of sense. And I'm just to add a little bit more there, because what you just said is important, I think. I think that is the fear, right? What what happens if this person breaks down in front of me? And the other answer, the other part of my answer to your question is, again, above all else, just being there for your friend or your roommate, right? And being there is, you know, being able to have that difficult conversation, or maybe you're not talking at all. Maybe that person is crying and feeling their emotions but you being there physically right and emotionally is everything right. <laughs> I mean that that really is so much of it again yeah. that's that's much more important than the words gotcha. that you choose to say yeah um and then also the kind of final part of my my answer there is to also remind people that it is okay to seek help and it is okay. I, I tell the student athletes at SMU this all the time. I, I kind of grind into them that there are these resources. There's me, there's other staff members at the counseling center for a reason. You, you don't have to be the therapist, right? You, you're not the therapist. You don't have to know, you know how to assess and how to diagnose and, and we don't want you to, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you just being there as a friend and then reminding them that you know, there are these resources and that is okay to use as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, you actually led perfectly into my last question for you. <laughs> we all know that there are people, student athletes or non-student athletes, or just even adults that are already graduated or gone on to do have like different careers that are not fans of receiving counseling services or seeing a psychologist. What would you tell that person um, like, what's kind of your pitch for, um, for lack of a better term, pitch? <laughs> no, no. To that person who might know a friend or someone who should see help, but they are not a fan of and they don't think that maybe I've heard that they just want more money from you, so they're going to see you more and more and more because they don't want you to progress forward or it doesn't work. So what, what would you say to those people? And that's a very good question because I, I wanted to say more about this earlier of to, to just, and I don't know if this is directly to this person, but to have an understanding that things don't have to be broken for mm -hmm. you to seek help. So I, I, that's a really important piece. I, I think a lot of the stigma around going to therapy is around this assumption that we're somehow weak or we're broken, or there's something really wrong. Like, again, we're on the far end of the continuum, which even then, like, you're still, you're not broken, right? It's a, it's a something you deal with just like somebody that has diabetes deals with their diabetes, right? To, to trust that everyone, everyone, and I truly believe this, and yes, I'm biased, but everyone can benefit from having a space to talk to another human and have that space be all theirs, right? I mean, to have an hour a week or every other week 
where you can talk through what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, mm -hmm. and above all else, ideally gain awareness and learn tools to then be able to help yourself, to then to help yourself that much more, to right. then be able to do these things on your own. And so again, it's not, it's not just for the person that, you know, feels like they can't go on anymore. It's for that person too, but it's also for anyone just looking to have more support or again, a space to learn more about themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dr. Wade. Um, this has been powerful, very insightful to me um, as well. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us today. Um, do you have any parting words before um, we close it up for this episode? I don't think so. I guess just what I just said, like not not being afraid to um, not only just seek help, but to, to look at some of these things we talked about today. Look at your own mental health and what that looks like and how um, how those things can be addressed on your own, even if it's not seeking professional help. Okay. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I, have you, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Everyone listening, I hope you have a great day as well.